Well, we're going to um, take a little bit of time now and just continue to personalize this. So take some time just quietly, five minutes before the Lord, and just ask yourself a, a couple of questions. And really, whoops, that's our, that's our list. Um, really, questions three and four we feel like are great. What are your personal temptations, your Achilles heel? When you start feeling discontent, what are, what are those things? And then what are triggers or situations that in your own life that lead you down the path of discontentment? So um, situations you put yourself in, situations you're around, um, just even, you know, when I'm tired, I become discontent and I allow myself to just go down this path of everyone has more than I do. So take a few minutes just before the Lord and just answer these questions and just um, allow your heart to just kind of go there on, on these things and then we'll bring it back. At your table, some of your answers and some other questions. We want to show another clip from Confessions of a Shopaholic. This is her at a support group. Uh-huh, right, exactly. And so um, we just thought that this would be a funny thing because this is what we don't want your time at your tables to be, um, enabling each other and those sorts of things. But this is just a funny clip about her at a support group discussing um, her issues with shopping, if you will. Keep coming back, okay? Keep coming back. Rebecca, why don't you share your story? Um, hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Rebecca Bloomwood. Hi, Rebecca. I just actually came here as a favor to a friend. Uh, I mean, I like shopping. Is, is there anything so wrong with that? I mean, stores are put there to enjoy. Uh, the experience is enjoyable. <laughs> well, more than enjoyable. It's, it's beautiful. The sheen of silk draped across the mannequin. Oh, the smell of new Italian leather shoes. Italian leather shoes, that's the best. Oh, the rush you feel when you swipe your card. And it's approved. And it all belongs to you. Okay, Rebecca, thank you for the sharing. The joy you feel when you've bought something and it's just you in the shopping. You in the shopping. All you have to do is hand over a little card. Join oh, us together. Isn't that the best feeling in the world? Yeah. Don't you just want to shout it from the mountaintop? That's real funny. You feel so confident and alive. And happy. And happy. And warm. What's going on here? Um, I need to buy a new bag. I have to impress Alette Naylor. You should get a watch to go with that bag. Oh, there's a, a sale at Catherine Malandrino. You're like my soul. <laughs> I have to go. Good luck, everybody. Do, do, do they have a shoe and discuss at your table um, if someone were to make a video clip about where you run, what would the scene and the setting include? Um, and then if you're honest with yourself, 
What things do you think would make you content? And what are your triggers that direct you down a path of discontentment? So take a few minutes and just discuss that at your table, and then we'll bring it back together. Okay, ladies. We probably could, again, spend a ton of time on this. Just triggers that we have. Yes. But we're going to keep moving forward. And we're going to talk a little bit more. And we're just going to go back to the garden and talk about what are some of the results of the fall. And you're, you're, you're going to keep so talking. So I'm just going to keep <laughs> talking over you until I'm stubborn. Hey, girls, I'm stubborn. I'll just keep talking. I'll just, even if no one's listening, I will talk. Uh, yeah, I was yeah. telling Mary Clayton, um, just M-D. the whole um, pride of life thing, one of my families, they love to bring this back to me. So my name is Emily, and when I was two, I started saying, Emmy do. Nope. I wanted to do it myself. I'm a strong-willed child. Emmy do was my favorite saying as a kid. So don't worry. I'm strong-willed. I'll just keep talking over you. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to bring it back, and we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to go back to the garden and just talk about what are the results of the fall, because we want to just keep bringing it back to the Bible, obviously, and we want to keep talking about, hey, this is not a new problem. This is not a, you know, Dallas problem. This is not an American problem. This is not a 21st century problem. This is... At the garden problem. So, yes. Take it away, Mary. Since the beginning. Okay, so we're going to jump back into Genesis 3 7 through 13 to look at some of the results of Eve eating the fruit and then giving it to Adam to partake as well. Uh, actually, we'll go back to verse 6 and reread that just to give us a little intro. So, when the woman saw that the tree was one, good for food, that it was two, pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable, three, to make one wise, that's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The Lord would go and visit with them. I think of him as having high tea with them at the end of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, Where are you? And so he said, Well, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was fearful, or I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And the Lord said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And then the man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree when I ate. Ha! <laughs> little blame shifting there. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Oh, wow. So we see here that the Lord, in their sin, doesn't wait for them to approach him. In his grace and in his love, he goes and looks for them and approaches them. And he asks three questions in order to try to get a confession. Instead of getting a confession when he approaches them, he gets blame shifting. But we, don't, we can't go into all this stuff today, but just, that's just a little parenthesis. The three results, though, that we see from this act are one, shame, two, fear, and three, guilt. 
And these are typically our own reactions to unconfessed sin. Now, like I said before, their spirit was not annihilated, but it was alienated from God. They felt alienated. They hid, just like you do when you sin. What do you want to do? Hide. Hide from others. Hide from God. Hide from your sin. Hide from yourself. And so we see these three results occur. One, shame. All of a sudden, they knew they were naked, and their innocence was gone. Now, children love to be naked, don't they? Children love to be naked. And so at some point, depending on your preference or your style, you get to the point with your children, you might let them run around the house naked. I had one friend. Her kids just loved to be naked. She let them run all through the house together naked, playing for hours. I would go in there and be like, nobody has on clothes. And she was like, oh, well, they're just innocent. But at some point when they hit the street, what do children have to be? Dressed. Okay, so we see that that innocence is gone of running through the house naked. Because innocence is ignorant of evil. And now they are made aware and have partaken in evil. So people have shame about lots of different things. We listed a few. If we have time, later y'all can list some as well. But people have shame about their past. People have shame about their current state of apathy within the church. Sometimes people feel ashamed that they don't feel more motivated. So you feel shame about that. People feel shame about making bad decisions, even though they knew better. You can beat yourself up about that. Shame about abortion. Shame about a failed marriage. Uh, We feel shame so much so that we feel like if people really knew us, they wouldn't really love us. So we hide who we really are. I said we weren't going to do this, but let's just see. Are there any, are there just, I'm only going to pick up two hands. Any other things that you really feel shame about that you want to bring into the light? Or it could be someone else. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be about you. Are there any real issues that you see people are dealing with shame right now? No one wants to say. Yes, Kathy. Yes. That's so good. Kathy's saying victims of child sexual abuse feel shame, but it's for something that they didn't do. They were the victim. That's really good. There's so much shame on on that. Okay. The second emotion that we want to address is fear. They say, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. What God was doing, he was trying to give them fair and full opportunity to confess and repent and be brought back into fellowship. But in their guilt, instead of coming clean, they did what? They ran the other direction. This is Satan's ploy for all of us. When we've done something wrong, when we've committed a sin, or once again, if we have just been obsessed with what we thought was a God-given desire in our own right as a Christian, so often in our guilt, we, we actually leave the church. There are people that actually leave the body of Christ and fellowshipping with others out of guilt. And all that does is separate us further from the Lord and from fellowship. Some things that people may feel guilty about are what? How they treated someone. Sometimes people leave the church because they've treated someone very poorly in the church. And instead of just coming and confessing and apologizing and bringing restoration, they just flee. Because their pride gets in the way. But they feel guilty, so they leave. 
That's just one example. Okay, and thirdly, fear. Oh, that swap those? Okay. Fear. Okay, so shame, fear, and guilt. The woman whom you gave me, he blames God for his wife, blames God for his own sin. Because nobody wants to take the blame and ante up. Do y'all have that issue in your house? I mean, it is so common in our house. I will say something. Did you leave that on the kitchen counter? As simple as that. I only did that because you told me to go take and give Becca May a bath. I mean, it is just the story of our family life. Everyone wants to blame everybody else about what's going on. Nobody wants to take personal responsibility. It was the same in the garden. You know, Solomon says, nothing is new under the sun. And he said that thousands of years ago. The same issues that they dealt with in the garden, we are dealing with in 2012. Okay, what are some of the things that people feel guilty for or fearful about? Fear of failure. Does anyone have that issue, fear of failure? Fearful of the future? Fearful of unmet expectations or dreams that you've had your whole life? Some people have had dreams since they were little girls for their whole life to do something or be something or have something and it doesn't come to pass. So they live in fear of that. Fear about having children? Fear about not having children? Fear about their children's future and outcome? Fear, some people are bound up with fear of sickness because they have a long family history in their, in their line of cancer. Fear of sickness. The biggest one, though, I think, that kind of encompasses all of this is that fearful, there's a fear that God doesn't really have your best interest in mind. Because if you believe that, all these other fears will drive you to wrong decisions and will drive me to wrong decisions. If we really fear that God doesn't have our best interest in mind. Okay, so too often we spend our lives blame shifting. Too often we live, live our lives in shame, in fear, and in guilt. And so instead of running to God, we do what Adam and Eve did, and we run away from God. Don't do that. You run to someone that you trust and you confess. You bring it into the light. And you pray for healing. Okay. What would you like to add? Yeah, and and I think sometimes these can be God-given desires that they're just um, misplaced, you know, and just a little bit have become our obsession. And so it's even just confessing, hey, I know I shouldn't feel this way, but I do. Um, and and, Mm -hmm. And I think that's why at Watermark we talk so much about community. Because community is essentially girlfriends that you can be honest with, that you can be naked with and share um, share where you are. And you may be able to know ten scriptures of why you shouldn't be able to feel this way or you shouldn't believe this. But it's still, you know, you may be feeling the emotion of that. Um, and that's where friends can come alongside you and hold up your arms and remind you of truth and all these things. And so, um, you know, we're going to now move into it to a section on just how do we how do we start dealing with this? How do what are some principles that we can start living in freedom? Because again, none of us are gonna leave this room and be like, awesome, not gonna struggle with contentment anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we this is a daily a daily pattern of our life that we are gonna we want you to be equipped in so you can move forward and surround yourself with friends that can remind you of these things and move forward and walk together in this. So um, we're going to move into a section of just how do, we, how do we deal with this? Because 
we're all so aware of how we struggle with shame, fear, and guilt, and, and these unmet expectations, and does God really love me? Um, but how, how do we deal with this? Where are we going? How can we live in the midst of freedom in this? Yes. So Emily and I have come up with six principles. We're not saying it's an exhaustive list by any means, but we're saying it's six of the principles that the Lord has given us that have helped us to struggle well with discontentment, to stay in a place of contentment longer before we backslide into that place of discontent. And so we wanted to share these with you all. Okay. What's on this sheet? Let me look at the sheet real quick. Okay, principles for, principles for gaining ground with contentment. Number one, it's so simple. Y'all are going to giggle. Know the Bible and read it. Know the Bible and read it. The Word of God is our daily bread. The Word of God tells the truth. The Word of God tells us how much the Lord loves us. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God divides those wrong thoughts in half and brings life to your soul, to your body, to your spirit. Now, it's not just reading it, though, y'all. We have to meditate on the Word of God. Meditate on the Word of God day and night. Paul says, be prayerful in season and out of season. So you need to be prayerful. Oh, everyone's writing one through six. Don't write yet. Don't write number one through six. Just <laughs> you don't get the answer. only because I, I want y'all to still. I want y'all to focus on number one when we're on number one. Because I know, I know, we got so many type A's in Dallas. They're like, I got to write down all six. We'll give you time to write them all down. Don't worry. But back to not just reading the word, but really meditating on it. You have to learn to persevere in prayer. A great way to do that is praying through the Psalms. Sometimes you don't get the victory over an issue by tossing up these popcorn prayers in the car driving to and from work. You've got to get on your knees. You've got to get your Bible out. Psalm 32 is a great psalm to start start with. Psalm 34. Sometimes our own minds deceive us and we don't really know how to pray. I feel like that a lot. So I don't I don't even I don't even pray personal prayers. I open my Bible and I stand up and I march around my house and I read the Psalms out loud because that starts to renew my mind and bring me back to a place of truth with the word of God. Because the word of God will never lie. The word of God tells the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And on a daily basis that's true too. So he is the truth. So what I do, like here is Psalm 32. Let me give you an example. Sometimes we've t- it's taken us so long to get into the mess we're in, it's not going to come out by a popcorn prayer to and from the way to work. Now, sometimes the Lord supernaturally will set us free like that. Like the snap of a finger, he'll set us free from an obsession or from a sin. But typically, he makes us struggle through it. Does that make sense? Okay, so Psalm 32, just as an example of how I would pray, or how I do pray, when I'm struggling with something, I'll just, well, I will literally take my Bible and walk around my den, and I'll say, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And I'll stop and say, Lord, I know 
my own heart deceives me. Would you remove that deceit? And I'll, I'll meditate on that for a few minutes. And then I'll go, when I kept silent, my bones grew old. Lord, when I just think these thoughts in my mind, they, they all make sense to me. But when I speak them out loud, they, they, I see that they don't sound right. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Lord, I'm so convicted. I know your hand is upon me with this. So I'll just pray through. Does that make sense? I'll pray through line by line. And I'll keep going. And, and David did it too. And he would keep prevailing in prayer until he felt the victory. And then you can see where he feels the victory because then he'll end uh, a a chapter like this in verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So he'll start many of his psalms feeling frustrated, feeling angry, feeling sinful or guilty or fearful. And he'll work through these psalms in prayer. And then he'll usually end them from a place of joy. Psalm 32 is good. Psalm 34, the happiness of those who trust in God. There's a supernatural happiness and joy that comes despite our circumstances when we travail in prayer. The songs of ascent, psalms of ascent, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134 or other ones to pray through. Those were the psalms that the pilgrims would pray as they came into Jerusalem at the feast and at like Feast of Tabernacles and at Passover. And they would pray these psalms as they would enter into Jerusalem and into the tabernacle. And they, and they would pray until they got the victory. So you've got to learn to persevere in prayer. You know, it takes a while to get your body in shape if you've been out of shape. Likewise, to learn to persevere in prayer, it takes some hard work. Yeah, and and many of you work. And so one of the things I do is I keep Bible verses like, um, well, when I worked at Neiman's, I would keep them under my keyboard because I didn't want to be that girl that had Bible verses on my computer. But I kept them under my keyboard, and then I'd just be able to pull them out and go, okay, Lord, this this is how I need to renew my mind, and I'm still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living and just... Be able to renew your mind, and some of my girlfriends keep verses on their dashboard as they drive to and from work in this Dallas traffic that they have, you know, to just continually renew your mind driving to and from. That is a great place to pray. That is a great place to turn off the radio and just focus your heart and your mind on the Lord. Um, there's tons of ways you can pray without ceasing as you're working, and mm-hmm. so that is a great thing, you know, just to keep that top of mind. My girlfriends and I, we text each other verses in the morning, like, okay, praying for you this this morning or that sort of thing or email back and forth um, because a lot of times so much of our time if you're working is spent at work but that is a great time we talked at the women's retreat about renewing your mind time you can do that at work just as much as you can do that with a young you know with a baby and you know when you're folding laundry or when he's down for a nap or those sorts of things and so just really renewing your mind in truth um, in any season of your life yes and I don't want you to mistake persevering prayer with performance i don't want you to think that you have to perform for god so now you have to you have to travail in prayer these are two different things you don't have to do anything to perform for god god is god and he loves you just the way you are and he really wants you to rest in him travailing prayer though is not a performance before god it is renewing your own soul there's a difference you don't have to perform for god or anybody else But when you travail in prayer and you read words of life, you are set free to also be able to rest in him. Okay, number two. We have to learn to take every thought captive. 1 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh... 
We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Listen to this. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Okay, my mom had this wonderful saying ever since we were children about taking your thoughts captive. She would always say, now honey, you can't stop a bird from landing on your head, but you can stop it from building a nest. Okay, do you get it? We can't necessarily control what thoughts hit our minds. We get ungodly, sinful obsessive thoughts all the time. We get them, I mean, I just use billboards again as an example. You drive up 75, you see a billboard with a piece of jewelry or with something, you know, this college or that college, and you start to lust for it. Okay, so we couldn't stop that thought from coming because it just happened right when we were driving. But we can stop it from taking dominion over our thoughts. We can stop that bird from building a nest. We have authority in Christ to take that thought captive and say that is not from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I put that thought aside and I meditate on you, Lord, on your goodness, on your graciousness. I refuse in Jesus' name to be discontent because you have contentness. For me, It is my spiritual right to be content because it has nothing to do with my circumstances. So you have to talk to yourself like this. You have to, like Tim Keller says, you have to preach the gospel to yourself. Okay, but a lot of us, and this is a pet peeve of mine, a lot of us are watching trash on TV. Trash in, trash out. Okay? I don't care how many psalms. You pray throughout your house out loud. I don't care how many text messages you send to people at work with Bible verses and praying and under the computer and this and that. If you're watching trash TV and trash movies, you're not going to be content. Everything, because it's just sell more, sell more, sell more. The TV just says more, more, more. You need more of this. You need more of that. You need more of everything. And it's 99 out of 100 times done in a seductive sexual, lustful, perverted, crass way. And y'all, there are so many shows that Christians, and if you want to call them strong Christians, are watching that are so ungodly, that are so perverse. I mean, the list goes on. I hear people and I'm like, why are you watching that? Oh, because it makes me laugh. I hear that nine times. Oh, because it makes me laugh. I need to laugh at the end of the day. Okay, well, you are just pouring and heaping discontent in your own life when you're watching this trash. Now, I don't want to be legalistic about it, but I guess, I guess there are some boundaries. There are shows that we're allowing into our home to fill the rooms of our home. And we question, why are we discontent or why are our children discontent? And we're just breeding it. The TV is, generally speaking, a breeding ground for discontent. Yes. Desperate Housewives. The Bachelor. The Bachelorette. Family Man or Family Guy. Uh, these kinds of things. Well, they're, they're glorifying things that the Bible is grieved over. The glorification of sin. Those kinds of things. Yeah, and everyone's different. And so to be able, yes. you know, it really is true. Like some people, um, it's, 
it really is not good for them to, to look at these things. Other people, they may be a little bit, that's not necessarily their struggle. And so it may be for them, you know, Pinterest and, you know, all yeah. of these other things. And so it's the principle of, um, of what are you putting in your mind? What are you spending your time doing? What are you, what are you focusing on? Where are your thoughts going? Where, what are you, Allowing, I mean, when I was planning my wedding, oh my gosh, spending time on the knot for hours, like, uh-huh. I was overwhelmed. I could have 20,000 different kinds of bouquets. What in the world? Yeah. You know, and for me, it was just overwhelming. It made me discontent for the one bouquet I, I got because there was like 20 others, and what yeah. if I picked the wrong one? And so, you know, it's different for everyone. Um, but to be able to, that's why we had you spend time on what are your Achilles heels? What are the things that you run to? Where are the things that you do? I mean, I think even doing this talk, I probably would have said before this talk, like, oh, the real housewives of fill in the blank isn't hard for me to watch. And I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't be watching that. Right. I mean, cause it was just, yeah, I'm not silly we don't want to be legalistic. Yeah. We don't want to get legalistic, but it. But it's the thought of where are you running to, even for relief. happiness, right? For relief yeah. of, okay, I had a hard day at work. I deserve a little bit of X, Y, and Z, right? And and to be able to go, Lord, you are my content. I have everything in you. Why am I running to the TV to remind me of truth, truth, in quotes, um, instead of running to your word and, and laying this before you in this way? And so I think... Um, mm-hmm. These are principles, right? But more often than not, our culture runs to TV, runs to movies, and that's why we hit it so hard is because, yeah. um, you know, we talked about in the beginning materialism. It can be a, a slippery slope kind of one way or the other. And even in our Christian circles, you know, in community group, we can talk about, oh, did you see this show and isn't it so funny? And that's not necessarily healthy um, for, for community groups yeah. or, you know, especially just one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like I said, we make mistakes, too. I just made a mistake last weekend with a movie that my children saw that I'm now horrified that I made that choice. So we have not arrived, but we we want to be changed more. We want to become more like Christ. We want to be able to to pray to the Lord without these hang-ups. So if TV is preventing you, from being content because you see that on TV and you're going, you're starting to long for those things or lust for those things, then get rid of it for a while. We actually got rid of our TV too, but we just moved here from New York and we got rid of TV for six months and then 9-11 happened and I called that day. I go, I need to watch the news. I need TV again. And um, so, yes, the Lord takes us through seasons where he just wants us to just strip ourselves of something that has become an idol. Very good point. And if you want a good series, Francine Rivers has fabulous series that are page turners. Anyone here a fan of Francine Rivers? Yeah. Okay. Because I'm a, I love, I'm an avid reader. I love to read too. And I find it hard to find books written by Christian authors that are page turners as well. So, okay, number three. Now, this number three is more specifically, oh, yeah, what? Oh, next slide. Yeah, let them let write them, I guess. So funny. But you better be listening as you're writing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we missed the Piper quote. Oh, we can go back to that okay. after this. How about that? Okay, uh, number three. This is more specifically for sin issues versus godly desires that have become obsessions. Play the tape out in your mind. Play the tape out in your mind. If I do this thing or don't do this thing, what will be the long-term result? 
we are so driven by current cravings, and this involves fellowship with others. When we start thinking, I mean, it can be something as basic and as common as marrying either an unbeliever or marrying someone who is a, quote, Christian, but not a growing Christian. I mean, I can't tell you how. I just had a friend do it recently. I said, she was engaged. It's a friend I don't live in the same town with anymore. And I asked her, I said, was he a Christian? She said, yeah. I said, is he a spiritual leader? Well, not really, but we'll get there one of these days. So, so play the tape out in your mind. What does this look And it's so hard to do that, y'all. We all live in the moment, naturally. We all live in 2012, naturally. We're not thinking 5, 10 years, 20 years out. So we need to, before we make big decisions, we need to play that tape out. What does this look like in 10 years? What does this look like in 15 years? What is this going to, especially big decisions, what is my life going to look like down the road if I make this decision? Whether it's a sin of omission or commission, whether it's something I do that I shouldn't do or something I don't do that I should do. Play that tape out. And this, I think, is a big one for single gals because it's easy to a little bit justify things when you're dating, right? Like, oh, this is kind of a bad habit, but surely when we get married, he won't do this. Yeah. Or surely he'll start being the spiritual leader later. Yeah. And Or, well, it's better than nothing, right? It's better to be married than, than um, continue struggling in, That's good. in singleness. And so this is, I think, a big one. And just helping your girlfriend see that. Because a lot of times in dating relationships, we have these rose-colored glasses and everything is perfect. Um, and just really, it's our responsibility as girlfriends to help help our friends play the tape out in their mind of just what does this look like in your life, in the reality of it, um, because sometimes we can just justify all day long. And it's really good to do that at a moment where you're not in a high emotional state, because when your emotions come down, your clarity of thought can come up. And so when you're playing this tape out in your mind, it's not good to do it when you're highly emotional. You need to do it at a time when you're fairly even. <laughs> If you have those times where you're fairly even and your clarity of thought can come up to the midline and you're really thinking realistically. Okay, number four. Yes? Versus one day at a time. Okay, well, like James says, you're right. Don't, don't forecast your life more than a year out. That's, that's very different than saying, I'm going to marry this person today and not think about what this is going to look like in a couple of decades. Because you're... Can you speak to that? Yeah, because you, um, you know, Matthew talks about do not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough worries of its own, right? And so you don't want to be so focused on the future that that you don't live in today and be okay with today. I think this concept is specifically talking about um, kind of the sin struggle of should I do this or should I not do this? It's kind of a check to help you um, think through. It's kind of a, a reality check, if you will. Thinking about the future brings you back to reality as opposed to making the isolated decision in a moment. So it's not necessarily a principle kind of overall big picture in the sense of, um, I can't think of a good example really. Um, it's, it's more kind of the sin struggle stuff. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yes. The Lord question. only gives us enough grace for today. The Lord, but, but he did, even from the beginning of his ministry, he was looking forward to the cross. So he was seeing how his daily ministry would lead him to the cross. Because he kept, people kept asking him about his coming death, and he kept saying, my time has not yet come, my time has not yet come. And then when he is with the 11 disciples... At the Last Supper, he says, my time has come. So, but God only gives us enough grace for today to live in today. 
but there are certain decisions that will affect us the rest of our life. Financial decisions. That's a great example. Yes, she just made a great example, like financial decisions. Do I go on a vacation right now with my girlfriends, even though I can't afford it, and go into debt, or do I choose to stay here so that I can maintain a debt-free lifestyle or so I can have financial peace? <laughs> yeah, you're good. That's good. We're going to actually get to that. That's one of our main points, is that a lot of this can't be done in an isolated situation. Okay, number four, resist the habit of half-truths and exaggerations. I'm the only one with this problem. Yeah, or, or everyone else is, ha is married with kids, or everyone else, yeah, I'm getting to me. Everyone else has a great job, and I'm the only one that doesn't like my job. Everyone else has obedient children, and mine are the only one. Everyone else is able to get pregnant right away, and I'm the only one that struggles with infertility. I mean, ladies, we could do this all day long of exaggerations or half-truths. But the problem is, a lot of times we believe those exaggerations yeah. or half-truths. I really feel like everyone else you know fill in the blank and and woe is me because I'm the only one right and so um, I think this is just a good again community to just go really I don't yeah. think that's true you know and just kind of help help you bring back to reality um, what actually is truth versus half truths or exaggerations. you know and this never stops I just visited my 90 year old grandmother she just visited my 90-year-old grandmother, and she was telling me about her life compared to her friends' lives. This is a lifelong struggle, okay? And she's about to die, okay? She's about to meet the Lord. This is a lifelong struggle, and we have got to gain some ground on this if we want to be content the rest of our lives. Okay, five. Pray with others. Now, this is where we get into James 5, 16 through 17, where James says, let me just open it real quick to read it exactly right. Uh, no, it's after Hebrews. You want to read it? Sure. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Okay, this is where we're starting to get into community with others. Sharing openly with others our thoughts or our intentions. Really bringing it to the table. We're not just praying in an isolated way. Verbalizing. The spoken word is powerful. Bringing it into the light. Praying with others. Hey, I am just really dealing with the fact that everybody got to go on a spring break except for us this year. And I'm really tired of everyone talking about where they went. That, that much honesty, just bringing it out and then praying over that. Really saying, I'm dealing with envy. You know, that, the, did you all notice the scarf was green? The symbolism of envy there, that nothing was ever enough. Envy is the mouth that's never full. Bringing that into the light. Saying, can you just praise me? Just getting really honest. And then six, be, this takes it a step deeper. Being known intimately by others and being willing to be teachable. Like that girl that I sat with at dinner. I seriously doubt she'll ever be in my community group unless the Lord does a great miracle because she said, nobody's correcting me or I'm out of here. 
Well, we can't, there's no growth without correction. Any, the Proverbs say a parent who doesn't discipline his own child hates him. Literally, the Bible says you hate your child if you don't discipline your child. So without discipline, without correction in our life, there's no growth. Do you speak to that? Yeah. And ladies, this is community. I mean, I think we purposely mm-hmm. didn't write the word community yeah. up there because a lot of times we ho-hum community at Watermark because we talk about community all the time. <laughs> this is community lived mm-hmm. out. These are girlfriends in your lives knowing you, you choosing to be honest with them, you choosing to say, all right, don't, this, is, this is just where, where my heart is right now. Um, and, and this is bringing it into the light, and this is letting others love you enough in the midst of your struggle. And so, um, yeah, being known intimately by others and being teachable. I, I didn't grow up in a church where necessarily you talked about things. You know, you kind of came to church and you left, and great, awesome. You know, we came to vacation Bible school and all that stuff. And so coming into Watermark and, and being in community for me has just been the the biggest part, I think, of the way the Lord has grown me in my identity in Christ. Because that is the Lord showing me through tangible friends, and you're believing lies. Or, hey, do you know, reminding me, this is what the Lord has for you. This is who you are created in Jesus. And it took me and my perfectionistic self to admit, gosh, I am coveting this or wanting this or comparing myself or competing or X, Y, and Z, fill in the blank. Um, But ladies, this is how we grow in being content. If we don't admit we're not content, if we don't admit you're struggling, then you're never going to be content because you're going to try to battle it on your own and do it yourself and bottle it up. Um, But when you trust others and believe that others um, love you enough to tell you truth, this is when you gain ground because this is when you can go, okay, I'm free to talk about these things. I'm free to go to truth. I'm free to remind my friends of truth and they're going to remind me of truth. And there's just there's just a great sense of joy in that to be able to live in that authenticity and go, hey, here it is. And still be loved. And still be loved. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's funny because even this morning, <laughs> Clayton and I were like, oh, oh, we need to add these more principles. Okay, so we have a few more for you. Yes. Um, because we were like, oh, oh. And even last night I was thinking, so, you know, I can tend to be critical and I can tend to mm-hmm. um, compare and get bitter or, you know, have a critical spirit. And so I think it was my, my parents that first said, hey, why don't you be intentional about writing down your blessings? Keep a blessings journal because that is so often we're focused on what we don't have. We don't focus on what we do have. Even like, Lord, thank you for this beautiful weather. Thank you for the spring. Thank you that I have girlfriends I can call. Um, So a blessings journal is a great tangible way to train your mind to focus on the things that you do have and not focus on the things that you don't have. Another way to do that is just serve. Ladies, there is no better way to get your eyes off yourself when you are serving someone else. Um, there, you can, no matter what age, you can serve someone else. And so whether that's holding babies, whether that's using your gifts and talents to mentor and disciple junior high and high school kids or, you know, women of all ages, um, there, there's a, or go out to West Dallas and, you know, serve kids out there. There's great joy in serving. And it takes our eyes off of ourselves. And you know what it also does? It also reminds us that not everyone has more than us. It, it reminds us that not everyone... I tend to compare myself with people that have more than I do and how come I don't have that bigger house? When I go out to West Dallas, I don't do that. 
you know, because I, I recognize they have less than I do. And so it's just a great way to train your mind to remember that there are people of all stages um, and, and serving is a great tangible way to do that. Another thing, another thing we put on our list is just mentoring. When you teach someone else the truth, when you disciple a woman in her identity in Christ, guess what happens? You believe it more yourself. This, the, preparing this lesson for us was so great because we are believing this truth. This week was really hard for me. I had... I have a friend in community who's dealing with postpartum. I have a friend that's dealing with infertility, a friend who's in the hospital. And this, I don't know why I'm getting emotional. That's hysterical. But reminding myself of these truths was so good because it's, life can happen, and they're just hard things. But remembering truth and reminding ourselves of truth, I was so blessed to do this lesson this week because it, it took me back to Scripture as opposed to just... Um, me wallowing in why, Lord, or, you know, just the discontentment of life. So those are a few of our other principles for gaining And, and even with the mentoring, even if you're even in high school, when I was in high school, I taught Sunday school. So my parents forced me to, to get out of my life, to get out of my little circle. Even in ninth grade, I started teaching high school to three- and four-year-olds, like twice a month. Well, those kinds of things force you to quit thinking about yourself. Um, Bill Bright, one of my favorite quotes by Bill Bright, he was just one of my life heroes. He started Camp's Crusade and went to be with the Lord about a decade ago. But he always says, whenever you feel dull in your faith and stale, share your faith. Whenever you, and he said, that's the quickest thing to get you back on fire for the Lord. So whenever you're feeling discontent, serve. Do something to bless others. Because this, this issue is lifelong. Yes. Yeah. It's a process. She's saying it is a learned process, and contentment is a learned process. We were not born with it. We have to acquire it over time. Um, one of a, a favorite book that I have um, is called Shattered Dreams, and in it um, he talks about sometimes God shatters our little dreams so that we can realize our ultimate dream, which is, um, a relationship with God. And so sometimes the Lord uses hard things in our life to drive him to himself. And, th- and that's, that's what we're talking about. It's, it's not about performance of how much scripture can I memorize or those sorts of things. It's about your relationship with the Lord. It's about going to him and laying yourself before him and, and crying out to him and, and, and knowing the truth to be able to let that um, take over your life. And so I think a lot of times discontentment is just an opportunity to trust the Lord and an opportunity to go to Him and be in His presence and just trust Him in a new and different way, just like Sharmila said. Actually, that's a perfect segue into the John Piper. Oh, yes. So Mary Clayton and I, um, we... We love John Piper. Yes. Um, And so we have some John Piper quotes of just... He is just a man who just talks about this and just lives this in such a unique way. So we have... We have some of these, um, and, and I think one of our favorites is God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And that so, is his life verse, or his life quote. That is his life ministry quote. I love to go on Desiring God at his website and just watch him for five minutes, because as he's so in love with Jesus, do any of y'all follow John Piper at all? Read any of his books, Don't Waste Your Life, or, um, okay, when you see the glory of God on his face, it's, it's like a physical manifestation because he's so satisfied 
with just God. Not with what God will give him. Not with what God might do for him. Not with his ministry. He's just, it's like he basks in just knowing God and loving God. He calls it Christian hedonism. Being that thrilled with the Lord that you don't need worldly hedonism. Yeah, and in the last quote, we weren't meant to be somebody. We were meant to know somebody. Mm -hmm. That our life is just defined by who we know. So we're going to send these notes out. So if you signed up just today, make sure we have your email um, because we'll send these out to you. So we want to take it now to just, again, be personal and just go, okay, what what does this mean for me? So just for a few minutes, take a minute and just sit before the Lord and go, what are three things I can do this week knowing how the Lord made you um, of just, just ways you can renew your mind and go to the Lord. Um, and then maybe a question of, hey, what are some things I need to share or confess with my community group? What are some things that I've been holding on to and not necessarily wanting to admit? Um, and again, they can be godly desires that have just kind of taken over a place that they shouldn't have. But write down a couple of things that you've thought of that you might need to share with the gals in your life.